some previous version of myself was dreaming of the moment I'm in now. Some previous version of myself hoped one day I would get to the place I am now. And now I'm here, there's another version of myself that's thinking of the next thing already. <laughs> and so I think the better self is that paradox of, yeah, I want to grow, I want to grow and evolve and I want to go after things and, and there are things in my life I'd like to welcome in. And you're also, you're already done. Welcome to the Virgin Active Minds podcast by Virgin Active, where we dive deep into conversations with the best and the brightest minds in the health and well-being world. If you've got questions about health, exercise, or any dimension of well-being, we've got the answers one expert at a time. I'm Mark Cito, your host, because I love all things well-being, from exercise, work, relationships, and going deep inside our minds. I'm here to explore it all with you. This is what they came for. Welcome back to Virgin Active Minds. In this episode, we chat to Matt Tafina. Matt is a registered organizational psychologist, coach, facilitator, consultant, adventurer, explorer, and the head of programs and impact at the Man Cave. I knew this was going to be an interesting chat, but you'll hear early on that Matt and I are absolutely on the same wavelength, which often results in a really great conversation. We talk about his own growth and understanding of self, as well as his role as a man. We dive into masculinity, the challenges teenage boys face, and the work the Man Cave is doing in preventative mental health action, leading towards greater connectedness, interconnectedness, and opportunities for young men and gender diverse people to thrive. I hope you find this chat as uplifting, inspiring, and as hopeful as I have. Here we are. Enjoy. Matt Tafina, welcome to Virgin Active Minds Podcast. How are you? Hi, Mark. I'm really good this morning. Thanks for having me on. I am stoked to have you here. Um, look, I'm really looking forward to chatting about the work that you do with the Man Cave, but also interested to talk to you about who you are and what you do as well, because there's some interesting things here on my list to talk to you about. And as we start all of our conversations, can you give us a bit of a synopsis on who you are and what you do and what's brought you to this point in your life? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, who I am I think at the core of who I am is a, a seeker and an adventurer. Uh, I'm the kind of person that will get up at 5.30 a.m. to go for a bike ride or go to yoga or meditate because that's when I feel most alive in the day. I'm not much of a night owl unless I really am running late on delivering something. I've really spent the last 10, 15 years just trying to find answers. So I've explored lots of different parts of uh, different disciplines and different parts of the world even to try and find answers to why are we here. And at a fundamental level, I was born and bred in Melbourne. Uh, I went to school in the eastern suburbs and became an organizational psychologist through my 20s and worked in consulting and change management and leadership development. And throughout that process, really enjoyed the high-performance process of it. I was playing hockey at a high level as well, playing water polo, eventually triathlon. But just was looking at who we were working with in corporate and I wasn't deeply satisfied by the impact that it was having. I didn't look at it and think I'm really, I'd be really proud to tell my children or my grandchildren about the impact I've had on the world. And that's what eventually led me through a few things I'm sure we'll talk about to leaving corporate and entering the social impact and charity space and working at the Man Cave. We're a preventative mental health and emotional intelligence charity. We primarily work with 12 to 15-year-old young men and gender diverse people trying to give them a space to, for the first time, potentially 
take off the mask they wear as teenage boys and start to open up and talk about what's really going on in their lives and connecting them back to more of their human qualities so they can become the man they really aspire to be and not the man they feel like they're being told to be. Yeah, and we've worked with 27,000 boys in Victoria so far. We're just expanding to New South Wales now and yeah, I think I'll leave it there to, to start with. That's that's the first the first bit of introduction, if you like. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you for that intro. And I cannot wait to get more into the man cave. Um, you know, when you just said then about taking masks off, I felt a little triggered. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to exploring that a little bit more. But could you just give us a bit of a, um, you know, what is an organizational psychologist? Yeah, good question. Uh, so an organizational psychologist is just another type of psychologist. Um, however, our focus is really on how do we create environments and cultures where people can thrive and be their best. And I came across it when I was studying undergrad through a subject called positive communities and organizations. And I remember it was the first time I felt like I'd seen the, this positive side of psychology. Everything up to that point was kind of psychology to fix people. Uh, but I hadn't yet seen a version of psychology that was about empowering or um, how do we get the most out of life and then how do we scale that as well how do we impact an individual how do we impact a team how do we impact an organization and then how do we impact the whole system to improve it so really an organizational psychologist can work across lots of different areas i worked in change management and consulting really looking at how do we help people and teams adjust to changes the organization was trying to make I also worked in crisis simulations where I'd run executive leadership teams through their worst nightmare as a business. And we would have psychologists and risk managers taking them through this scenario and then giving them feedback and going, how'd you go under pressure in a totally new and, and novel experience? And then using that to improve how they handle a crisis going forwards as a business. Um, and now at Man Cave, you know, I'm all looking at What's our theory of change? What's our process for working with teenage boys? How do we even define healthy masculinity? What do you do with a teenage boy over three years to help him get to that point? And so there's that. And then there's also looking at the culture and the strategy of Man Cave. And so I'm able to bring skills of what do we need to do individually, team and organizationally to create an organization that for me and for us reflects what we're all about, ensuring that the embodiment of healthy masculinity, gender equality is a part of the organization as much as it's a part of the programs we deliver. And so I kind of dance between all those different things and organizational psychologists can go in lots of different directions, but that's the, that's the basics of it. And I've heard you mention um, being our better selves. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? And is my better self already within me? Is it in there? Like, is it, <laughs> is it there? Is it just something I'm searching for? Or is it something that I'm becoming? Mm, all right. Can we step into the place of paradox in the work? Uh, because I feel like that's where we need to go. It's both. And it's neither, I think, would be my answer. Uh, so there's, uh, I think the first part of it is being your better self is really tapping into this part of, I'm always growing. I'm always evolving. Me as a human being, I am nature. I am not necessarily a tree, literally, but we are both the same in the sense that we are relying on, on the earth, relying on the sun, relying on everything around us to be able to nourish ourselves and to grow. And we know that our skin and everything changes over many years. And physically speaking, our body changes over many years. Um, and then, Evolution is just a natural part of how our brains work and a natural part of how 
at what drives us forwards. It's a survival mechanism as much as it can be a really powerful thing. So that's like the pursuit of the better self, the, the idea that tomorrow I want to be better than I was today. In 10 years' time, I've got a vision of myself that I want to be. And that's the first bit, which I think is, can be really healthy and it can also go into some, some areas that are not so healthy where you maybe start to reinforce some negative belief systems around today I'm not enough. And that's the other side of the paradox, which is why it's both and it's neither, um, which is that realistically, right now, you're done. You're good. You don't need to do anything else with your life, with yourself. You can wake up in the morning. You can be grateful for everything you have in your life. And this is something I go through as well. And look around and go, oh, I'm actually good. And uh, this idea was presented to me recently around that, you know, some previous version of myself was dreaming of the moment I'm in now. Some previous version of myself hoped one day I would get to the place I am now. And now I'm here, there's another version of myself that's thinking of the next thing already. (laughs) And so I think the better self is that paradox of, yeah, I want to grow, I want to grow and evolve and I want to go after things. And um, there are things in my life I'd like to welcome in. And you're also, you're already done. It's it's all done. It's all good. Um, Naturally, there are parts of us that are maybe a bit anxious or driven by certain things that sometimes grab the steering wheel and try to to get us to hustle or grind harder than we maybe need to. And we can just love those parts and help them let go and go, hey, actually, today's such a great day. I think it's Maya Angelou that says, today's a beautiful day. There's not one like it. And I try and remember that each time. But it's the balance. It's the balance between the two. Yeah, that's. there's a lot of parallels with uh, yogic philosophy there as well, you know, like that sense of contentment. Um, an acceptance of who you are right now today uh, without the the need or the desire to change or perform. But in the same way, yoga also teaches us discipline, but being, you know, unattached to the outcome, <laughs> which for a lot of people, that's a challenging, as you just described, quite a challenging paradox, right? Because it's like, yeah, be disciplined and get up and do your yoga and practice with intent and focus. But don't don't be attached to the outcome. <laughs> yeah. Yo, yoga was one of my greatest teachers as well. A few years ago, when I did started doing um, Ashtanga, mm. and it absolutely slapped me for six uh, because I came into it with a high performance sports mindset, and exactly like you said, oh, am I going to be able to reach further today than I did yesterday to demonstrate I made progress? And I had that tipping point a few months in of going oh, this is so funny. (laughs) My brain is geared towards measuring progress by physical difference in how long my hamstrings are or can I reach a certain posture or not today versus yesterday. And that's not the point at all. The point is that I've already arrived. I'm already here. And the important thing is I got up and I got on the mat and now I get to explore. And um, like when we're talking about some of these things, I've explored um, different elements of yoga as well. I, I feel and know that you have also. It's we're really talking for me about the healthy masculine and the healthy feminine. And then in between that, that paradox, the masculine is the discipline. I'm going to get up tomorrow morning. I'm going to get up the next morning, the next morning, the next morning. I'm just going to keep showing up um, because I'm choosing the best part of myself in advance. And even when the alarm goes off and I don't want to get up, I'm going to trust the part the version of myself yesterday that chose that that was the right thing to do. I'm just going to go do it. Mm-hmm. And then the feminine is then being able to, once you're on the mat, surrender surrender into the posture, surrender into the class, um, surrender into that moment, 
Yeah, and move with a gentle mind and being unattached. You know, there's a you know that's yin and yang as well, right? Like in we often talk to that in our yoga calm classes as well and exploring that balance. But yeah, it took me two years of six days a week of yoga, two years before I really was like, oh, there's actually no goal. Like I've been trying, <laughs> I've been trying really hard for two years, six days a week, right? Mm-hmm. Smashing myself in power yoga. And then I just came to that realization that there's no goal with yoga. There's no end right? There's no, there's no pretty picture at the end that we're working towards. This is just a, it's, it's a life practice and stuff changes every single day. I, I love what you just said. Cause it's so like, we can laugh about it now, but at the time you, I've had moments like that where I'm like, taking me this long to realize like this, this has been agony up until this point. And the other part is like laughing going, this is hilarious. Look at, look at the whole thing that's played out. Um, I like to, like, there's this idea, as we're talking about the paradox of all of it, because it's, it's all kind of interlinked. Um, I spent most of my 20s, and I think this is why it's not our fault in terms of having these belief systems, because they're ingrained into our culture. When we start to look at what cultural norms there are, especially around, you know, the masculine drive to achieve, I think in many ways can be really healthy, and in other ways can be really unhealthy, and has in many ways been systematized. Um, in our modern society is this idea of mountaintops. We've got to get to the mountaintop and get to the mountaintop. And I have literally and figuratively spent most of my twenties climbing mountaintops, probably my teenage years as well. And got to the top of the mountain, looked, looked out. I was like, Oh gee, the view's great. Oh, there's another mountain. <laughs> like what? I'm going to have to climb back down and go to the next one. And I spent 10, 15 years doing that until I realized there's actually no mountains. There's just, there's just paths and there's choices. And in some ways that was liberating. In other ways, it was really frustrating because there was no, all of a sudden there was no meaning or significance around certain things. It was actually just what matters to me. What's the path I want to walk. And when I get to making a choice around two different paths or three or four, whatever it is, I have to really tap back into my own knowing to be deeply satisfied with what I choose and to not then feel maybe later down the track if I chose the quote-unquote wrong path, which is also an illusion, mm. that I don't blame someone else for it, but I can actually take responsibility for it and go, oh, well, I tried. I tried and it didn't work out as I hoped, but now I'm just going to choose again. I think turning mountains into paths and choices for me has been a really big shift and I feel like within what we're talking about around yoga, it's a similar similar mindset shift and I think for me more broadly I'd love socially organizationally just how we live our lives to shift more towards that space as well 100% and it's kind of got a really literal example from my own life you know I've spent the last 10 to 15 years started you know trail running which then became long distance overnight hiking and it was always about like how far can I walk how quickly can I get this 30 kilometers finished? You know, it was always about just getting to the end, right? The the only goal was to get to the end and to get there quickly and to get as far as possible. But the last couple of years, um, 
yeah, I've got fibromyalgia, which is a health condition. And it just means that physically I'm not as capable as I was. But what has shifted for me in that is that I now walk to enjoy the walk, you know, like I'm actually walking and realizing that I spent the last 10 or 15 years missing out on all of this because I was so focused on the end, Mm. right? I was so focused on the finish that I missed all of the journey because I was just head down, go, 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 right? Burn, burn, burn. But now it's shifted so much that I'm just, I'll walk for five kilometers and then sit down and just listen. And look at what's going on. And it's like, I've just spent so much time of my thirties missing out actually, you know, and I've done a lot and I achieved a lot and I, you know, did a lot of really long arduous walks, but I think uh, I put most of my focus and energy into the end of it. Yeah. You have to, you know, with those, that wisdom, you have to, you have to live through it to, to fully embody it as well. Mm. You can't go read the book and then download it like, you know, the matrix. And then all of a sudden you're good Yes, to truly embody it. You have to go on that journey. And I had the same realization when I've been climbing mountains and I'm like, this is so funny. I just want to get to the top. Like what's the rush. And I feel like when I think about it, you know, I come back to some of the fundamentals and you and I, I think are very aligned spiritually in different ways as well. Um, and I've been trying to make sense of the psychology of it, the spirituality of it and everything in between is where effectively, I think being run by this programming of very animalistic programming of how can I avoid suffering and get pleasure? And it's, it's this very physical experience. And that's why I do think a spiritual practice is so important is to realize there is a higher self that's not tapped into our physical body that, that wants to avoid the suffering. And of course the irony that when we try and avoid suffering, we actually just get more suffering. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I think about the rush that often the rush is this drive to get away from pain and to get towards pleasure, but pain and pleasure exist on the same, the same poles. It's just a spectrum of the same experience. And so once we slow down, we often start to then sit with these uncomfortable feelings, which might be the parts of us that are saying, you're not good enough. Maybe someone said that to us as a little, as a little kid. And then that's driving us to prove that we are good enough until we slow down and start to feel the gravity of those words and, and how they impacted us when we were younger, we won't start to be able to see how it's continuing to, to create choices and mindsets in our life right now. And then that's when things start to become like really beautiful and you slow down and, and look around and go, Oh, this is, this is it. Like there's nowhere to be, nowhere to go. Uh, but it, it's definitely challenging. That's the same as going to the gym. You lift away, wake up the next day, you're going to feel sore. Hundred percent, and look, that's a you know, and it is challenging for people to get that. And I think we've been taught, as especially Western, you know, Western culture has taught us that, you know, the goal is happiness. Like that's the only goal. And if if you're not happy, then there's something wrong with you. Which is just, you know, and it's taken me a lot of time and a lot of yoga and a lot of Pilates <laughs> to realize that, as you just said, that it's a spectrum, right? Like we've got extreme happiness, extreme sadness and grief, but all of those experiences are equally important, right? Being, you know, in, in agonizing grief is as important in this human experience as, you know, absolute bliss. And I think somewhere along the line, we've been told that, you know, of course, agony, it doesn't feel nice, but it doesn't make it wrong. You know, it's not, you know, it's not a wrong part of life. It's not something that we should necessarily always avoid. 
and you know in the again a most literal way i kind of try and teach my students you know my pilates and yoga students that you know even here now in this challenging exercise or hard pose like face it you know don't step away don't shy away actually step into that challenge and that uncomfiness uh, because if we can do that here then you know this is the training ground for how we step into our life and realize that we are capable of doing hard things uh, and we also understand the benefit of it at times, you know, and being able to come out the other side. But it's also sometimes it's not just getting through the pain, but it's also about the acceptance of pain, you know, that it is part of life. Uncomfiness is part of life. Hmm. Well, look, I, I want to ask a, a really um, superficial question now. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I mean, we went some places then, so happy to go the other direction for us for a moment. <laughs> I think you met Megan and Harry. Tell us what that was about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, I left my job in consulting six months in. I remember still feeling like such a silly, silly person at the time, resigning after six months from like a big corporate leadership consulting business. And um, two months into meeting, uh, going to Man Cave, Hunter, our CEO, messages me and says, hey, how do you feel about coming to meet Harry and Megan with me at Government House when they're in Australia? Wow. Uh, <laughs> remember going, yeah, well, obviously, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, they, came out to hear, they came out here to Australia a few months after Hunter had received an award from the Queen. And it was actually me looking at a photo of Hunter receiving this award from the Queen on Facebook while I was at my corporate job that made me realize just, just how, how important and also how much recognition Man Cave was getting and that that's something I wanted to be a part of. So when Harry and Megan came out a few months later, they really wanted to meet with Hunter again. And yeah, Hunter invited me along and we took a 14 year old boy from one of our programs with us as well. And it was incredible because of course, you know, he just melted Harry and Megan's hearts and um, they were amazing. You know, Harry was really earnest. He was really, I could see in his eyes, could really see actually how much pain was was still there for him and i could see and feel how much he really cares mm. like he really cares i really felt that and megan just floated into the room and was just just beautiful and mm. and so she cares deeply as well um it was really incredible to meet both of them and we just asked them can you keep supporting us we don't want anything from you just we love your support it's making a difference and then a month later Hunter sends me another screenshot of Instagram and he says, oh my God, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex just unfollowed every account on the Instagram except 16 accounts. And we're one of the 16 because they wanted to highlight organizations globally that were doing important work. And our Instagram following like doubled overnight. Wow. And yeah, they've just been incredible supporters along the way. It was also a, a lifetime achievement, you know, just to meet those two people, especially with everything they've been through. So what, what is it do you think that they're seeing in the man cave? I think they're seeing something similar to what I saw when I first heard about the man cave. There's a lot of conversations around masculinity, around teenagers, around the next generation that can feel it's a reality, but also they can feel quite negative and like there's not a hope. And I feel what they see in man cave is an organization, a program, an idea, a vision for what the future could look like that we're trying to create. And so I think they really got behind this optimism, this hope, this vision for the future. That's not just an idea. It's also a program. 
And that's why so many boys enjoy the program as well because it's empowering. That we're stepping in and we're acknowledging. We start our programs by acknowledging the reality and the challenges of masculinity and helping the boys themselves and gender diverse people as well in our programs realize that masculinity is not just this idea in politics or the media. It impacts them personally on an everyday basis. And once they start to realize that, you know, sort of linked to some of our earlier discussions around pain and pleasure and suffering, and they start to get real and it becomes less of a conversation about everyone else out there and more of a conversation about how it impacts me, then the energy in the room drops and we start to get real. Now, we have this idea in Man Cave, we'll ask people to speak from I language. Say, hey, can you, instead of saying you, do you mind just saying I? And it's something we do really well in Australia. We say you a lot. And it's a really good way of keeping our distance from our emotions and also keeping distance from taking responsibility, not just for our emotions, but for lots of other things. So, yeah, once boys start to step into that space, everything sort of shifts in the room and, and we were able to get real. But at the end of the day and the end of each program and the overall mission is, is about we're acknowledging the reality. We want to prevent this happening early and this is what it looks like and feels like. And so it starts to be something that people want to get behind. Mm. And I think it, it it's also speaking to a need because young men need this work. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, let's jump back to you for a moment and, you know, the, the draw towards adventure and challenging yourself. You know, you've done a triathlon, Vipassana, mm. uh, base camp. <laughs> um, what, what is it about these things that really draws you and excites you? Oh, it's just a wondering. It's, it's probably two things. It's a wondering of what's out there and it's a desire and want and need to put myself in an uncomfortable situation where I'm going to discover something new about myself, about the world and this feeling of freedom, which I think well, the reason I laughed when you asked me is because my 20s was very much about seeking external freedom. You know, I'm going to be free when I've done the Ironman triathlon. I trained for six months for that. It was 15 hours of training a week. It was, you know, my relationship suffered. My relationships, my friends suffered. My work suffered. And it took 10 and a half hours and I got to the end of that race. And I remember crossing the finish line and thinking, how am I going to feel when I cross this finish line? You know, 10 and a half hours, finish this marathon, metal goes over my neck, towel goes around my, my shoulders. And I remember just crying. I was just exhausted. It was five or six months of just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and finished. I went, oh, I'm relieved. I'm relieved it's done. So now I think now in my, as I'm turning 31 in a few weeks' time, even just this last year has been about realizing that freedom isn't gained externally, that my freedom's available internally. And so the last 12 months especially have been more of an inward, inward journey towards freedom. Um, tapping into some of the stuff we talked about at the start of this conversation. And it's the paradox again, like, oh, I'm so excited for the next adventure. I don't know what it is yet. I'm waiting for it to emerge. But I think it's just that that wanting to live, like be on the edge of life, just be on the edge of it and see, see what's next, feel that aliveness. On your website, you've got a quote from Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, the Buddhist monk, uh, and it says, how is my life my message um, how has that quote impacted you? Yeah. So grateful, first of all, for his work. Dad, he's not with us anymore physically, but 
his, his work's going to live on for sure. I picked up a book of his when I was in Nepal for Everest Base Camp and I read his book and the book itself wasn't a typical self-help book where he gave his lessons. He just said in the book, I'm going to tell you stories that have happened in my life and you can take the lessons from those stories that you need to. And I only need to tell my stories because my life is my message. There's no need for me to tell you what I care about. You can actually just see from the way that I live. And when I came back from Everest Base Camp, one of the guys in my group actually died from a heart attack on that trip. There was only 18 of us and we finished with four people. Helicopter evacuations and different things. And I just looked at every part of my life, probably a bit too critically. Like it was a full audit going, where am I out of alignment? Where am I out of alignment? Every part. And I just thought if someone met me and they looked at what I do and how, where I spend my time and who I spend my time with, what would they think of me? And it wasn't a superficial thing. It was more just getting out of my own head. And part of that was what led me to leave corporate to recognize actually that there was a difference between what I said I cared about and what I was actually doing with my time. And I asked myself that simple question, you know, if I died tomorrow, would I, would I be satisfied? And that was the driving force between behind making some serious life changes. And, you know, part of that was I almost went back into corporate last year. Not many people know this, but, you know, last year around this time, I actually had resigned from the man cave. And I'd signed a contract back in corporate again at a leadership consulting business. And it was really driven by trying to increase my income and thinking I need to be earning more before I turned 30. And I had some time away and a chance to connect with the community that really cares about this work, not just Man Cave, but no, I know you've spoken to Mandy at Flourish Girl. She was there and a number of other people in Australia that really care about this work. And I realized that I had time to slow down and look around and realize I was part of a really special thing and everything I wanted. I had that moment. I just looked around and I went, everything I want is already here right in front of me. The people I'm looking for, the community I'm looking for, the work I'm doing and decided not to take the job. And off the back of that choice as well, unfortunately meant a long-term relationship finished where I realized that we weren't heading in the same direction and it, it all came at a real cost. But I think it's like, for me, it's tapping into this idea of, really embracing change and embracing growth and accepting it's, it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard, not just for me, but people around me as well. And that's just been a question that has just stayed with me since I first read it. I'm not sure if that's where you expected me to go with my answer, but that's kind of um, how it feels relevant now. And I really love coming back to that question because it's so, it's so introspective, right? No one else can answer that question for you. No one else knows what you want your life to be about. Yeah, not many others know our, the deepest parts of ourselves. I mean, most of us don't even know the deepest parts of ourselves, right? Like that's, I think for me, that's still part of my journey. Not even sure I'm, I'm fully aware of what's going on in here, um, let alone anyone else. So absolutely, I can see that as an internal question for yourself. Can you talk to us about what you believe in? I mean, is, is part of that what you just explained? Um, you know, an integral part of your personal beliefs? There's a couple of things that I truly believe in that I would be willing to die for <laughs> or at least debate very deeply. Uh, the first one is 
that people are innately good. And the reason I found that to be such a challenging one to hold on to is because there feels like there's so many people that feel otherwise uh, that say, no, they're a bad person and associating them with like they're a bad person um, or, you know, people are stupid or idiots. And there's just this level of, it's, it's not love. It's, it's subtle self, it's subtle, subtle negative energy going towards someone else. I hundred percent just believe that at a deep level, we were born beautiful and perfect and loving and good. And part of the journey of life is helping each other. Remember that. And I believe in this idea as well of really doing this work like together. I've had to undo a lot of conditioning around this idea of I've got to be the one that is successful. And I spent most of my twenties doing that and then realized, well, it's not much fun having all the things if you've got no friends. <laughs> and so it all changed and it be, it's become a lot more about my, my friendships, my community, who's around me, who I want to spend my time with. There's a saying, an idea from uh, the Buddha. And so what is life about the journey or the destination? And the answer is it's neither. It's the company you keep. It's, it's who you're with, who you spend your time with. Um, and I really believe in that now. It's, it's, it's not about where I'm getting or going or where I've been. It's about who I'm with now and who I want to be with going forwards. So I won't, I believe in that as well. Um, and the last thing I, I really believe in is just the power and necessity of growth and the capability of people to grow. Like if you're not going to believe in yourself that you can grow and that you're great, I'll do it for you for as long as I need to until you can do it for yourself. And I've had some really vulnerable moments in the last couple of years where I've had to let go of myself and allow myself to be held by other people and for them to show me they believe in me. But it's only happened when I've dropped some of the armor or these illusions or facades of I'm all good. I don't need to do anything. Like I'm doing my own race and then realizing, oh, it's actually not working. Um, but feeling that rising sense of emotion in my own body and going, if I let this come to the surface right now, there is going to be an overwhelming amount of emotion coming out because there's parts of me that are so sad and lonely and feel like I am not enough. So I really believe in the, the power and the necessity of us to just continue embracing that change and to really like dance with it. Mm. And there's a serious impact that this, these sorts of beliefs and teachings will have on society, right? Like you think about our society and, you know, a huge part of it is about exclusion. You know, even you just think about the way Australia and other countries have these strong borders keeping people out, right? Like, we need to be fearful of these people. They are bad. Um, the whole pursuit of individualism and doing it on your own and you don't need anyone else and cut that tall poppy down. Mm. How would you, I mean, maybe I'm answering the question within my question. It's kind of like, what sort of society do you see if we were instead of where we're at now and obviously that's what the man cave is trying to do right instill some of these beliefs what is the vision long term with this this sort of work and and exploring these beliefs you have such simple questions but they're so big <laughs> <laughs> what do you believe oh that's so simple but there's so much in that um so i think i'll start individually 
maybe it's the org psyche in me wanting to layer it and scaffold it. <clears throat> uh, I, I really, the thing I want young men, young people to walk away with from man cave work, but also just, I believe they need in their lives is just to come back to a place of trusting themselves and loving themselves and eventually leading themselves. And if it, my vision is for the future is that that is possible. Uh, but it requires us to change the way we educate young men and young people. It requires us to teach them from a young age in our education system and in our homes for our parents that they can trust their intuition. They can, they don't have to keep pushing for academic marks. And, you know, we hear this a lot in our programs. Boys are really feeling under pressure to achieve at school. So first and foremost, for young men to walk away and to really have a healthy relationship with themselves, that they trust themselves, they love themselves, they lead themselves. And then, I mean, one of my favorite ideas, quotes, beliefs is as below, so above, as within, so without. And all that means is that if a young man has a really beautiful, direct, strong relationship with himself, that's just going to be how he relates to everyone else because that's his world internally and that's the world he's going to create externally. And one of the ways we've started to do check-ins with young men is check in below the line and then above the line. So how are you internally and then how are you externally? And one thing I've noticed as we've introduced it, even for myself, is how quickly a check-in goes to the external world straight away and not the internal world. Um, so for young men to have that internal, that internal world and then for their relationships to really flourish, to have healthy relationships with other, other men. So much of our relationships with other men is driven by this fear of what another man can do to me. Is he going to dominate me? Does he want to be intimate with me? What do all these things mean and how am I going to be judged for them? And I'm talking about teenage boys and, and young, young people, but I'm also talking about adults. We're still, we're still working through all this stuff ourselves. And I think it's possible for us to have really caring relationships with other men and with our intimate partners. Um, and bigger picture is that a generation, a whole generation of young men and young people step into the world saying, for me, it's all about service. How do I, how do I contribute to my community? How, I, how do I lead by my values? How do I make decisions that maybe don't benefit me but benefit the, the greater good? And if we look at the way that some of our even global politicians and CEOs approach decision-making, it is not necessarily coming from that place. It is coming from a place of either maintaining power, getting more power, is to flip that and to create a generation of young men that step into the world and go, how do I serve? What's best for the community? You know, that turn to people and say, what do you need? How can I support? And it doesn't become about them. And there's this paradox and irony, contradiction within people that are challenged with things like depression where they run programs where they one of the tasks is to look after a garden and to grow a garden and as that person becomes more connected to back to earth and back to themselves they also become in greater service of something that's not them and it really can can allow them to to recover mm. and i think one of the ways out of the challenge we're in is for it to be less about ourselves and more about serving others in you know with our unique gifts and talents that's my broad vision broad vision and I, I feel like we just need to keep chipping away at it 
and then gradually as well, you know, some of the social structures and modern civilized structures are already starting to collapse. And I think there's a really important opportunity right now uh, for people that really believe in this stuff to to step in and, and start to create and to lead. That was a lot. <laughs> Even for me, that was a lot. <laughs> I think that's like, I think the other part, Mark, maybe is just like, and like we can have fun along the way. Mm. Like it doesn't need, like that was very serious and we can do the serious thing. <laughs> and then we can also play and laugh and have fun and go, oh, yeah, the world's screwed. And also like, oh, we still get to have really the best time together. Mm. Yeah, well, I think what you're speaking to, there's also a lot of opportunity to, you know, very naturally have fun, you know, like having strong, balanced relationships as a man with other men, um, you know, loving relationships with intimate partners, um, doing work for others. That's something that really stood out for me in what you were just saying and, and not necessarily for others, but even in the fact of looking after a garden and, um, you know, caring for something that isn't you. Um, you know, I think for me personally, I spent seven years in finance and telecommunications after I left uni and, you know, it was great. And I was looking after myself and I was living overseas and partying a lot naturally. That's, well, I say naturally, that's kind of where I was in my early twenties, just, you know, how much fun could I have? Um, but at the same time, how much money could I make? Um, but then a huge part of me and, you know, of course this is what I've spent the last 13 years doing is I realized that I wanted to be a personal trainer, you know, like I actually wanted to do something for other people. I'd had really great feedback my previous career with, you know, when I was responsible for training and helping others that I did it in a really good way. And, and I, I just, I guess I'm just trying to say that, you know, I've, I've made a career out of not, it's not purely just helping others, but a big part of it is, you know, and a big part of the drive is to help others and do more for others. And, but it has been so much more fulfilling than spreadsheets while working for a giant telecommunications company. (laughs) (laughs) That is it for part one with Matt Tafina. We will be back same time, same place next week. See you then.